Grace and peace to you from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Our text, son of Joseph, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. I was at the doctor the other day, it was Thursday, and uh, he was talking, we were talking about the flu and the flu shot and that sort of thing. And I said, I remembered back in the 90s, and I was talking like 10 years ago, back in the 90s, 10 years ago. And he's like, 10 years ago, the 90s. And I was like, he goes like, that was 20 years ago. I was like, well, it seemed like it was just, it was just a couple of days ago, it seems like. Right? But back in the 90s, which was just a couple of years ago, there was a Christian men's organization um, that made all kinds of headlines throughout the news, and their name were the Promise Keepers. Remember them? Founded by Bill McCartney, the head ball coach of the University of Colorado at Boulder, the idea was to introduce men unto Jesus Christ and teach them what real manhood was about and urge them to be faithful husbands and fathers. For a few years, the Promise Keepers experienced sort of this explosive growth. Now, in the 90s, from 1990 to 2001, I had a full-time job. I was pursuing two different college degrees while paying for Stephanie's graduate degree. She helped pay for that some, too, by the way. Um, I also didn't know any Promise Keepers, as far as I knew. And if anybody hadn't ever bothered to invite me to one of these things, I probably wouldn't have had the time. But for whatever reasons, the promise keepers, you don't really hear them in the news anymore. I actually went and looked them up. They're still an organization. They're still doing things. But their, uh, their leader tend to have a couple of promise keeping issues. I, rather than focusing on keeping man's promises, Maybe they should have focused instead upon God keeping His promises to man. You see, no matter how hard we try, we're not very good with our promises. We're not very good at keeping God's law at all, to tell you the truth. Which is why we need the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is why we need the promises of God made unto us. Because it's God who keeps His promises to us that gives us confidence. That on the day that we meet our Lord, we can meet Him with confidence. Not because of any of our promises that we have kept, but because the Lord has been just in His promises to us. God's promises give us confidence. First, there's, there's God's promise given to us in the name of Jesus that gives us confidence. If there was ever a godly man who kept his promises, you'd have to say, Joseph was one of those. Joseph, I believe, a devout Jew, intent in his mind and in his heart to follow the ways of the Lord his God, and his obedience is also tempered by compassion. No doubt, Joseph followed all the rules of his day. He probably looked like a good Jew was supposed to. He ate the food that a good Jew was supposed to. He went to the synagogue when he was supposed to. He went to the temple when he was supposed to. 
Joseph's father's name was Jacob, Matthew chapter 1, verse 16. Mary's father, according to tradition, was Jehoiachim. And Jacob and Jehoiachim probably sat down at one point, sometimes in the lives of Mary and Joseph, and they made a deal. This is the way it was done, by the way, in, the, in those days. At some point, their two children became engaged. Now, this could have happened as early as Mary being born. In fact, it could have happened even before Mary was born, this engagement. But at some point, these two people found themselves engaged. They may or may not had anything to do with it. They may have not had any say in it at all. They may have known each other since they were this tall. And if all of a sudden, they walked up, the parents went, oh, by the way, you're going to marry her. Say hi. It was just the way it was done. My point is, the engagement is a legally binding contract. The only way to get out of it is divorce. Now, men could divorce their fiancés. Men could divorce their wives. It generally didn't work the other way around. It was expected that both parties would remain chaste. That Joseph would keep his part of the bargain and that Mary would keep her part of the bargain. And there would be no intimacy, not between the two of them, and certainly not between the two of them and anybody else. And of course, after the engagement, at some point, Joseph finds out that Mary is pregnant. Mary has probably brought this up herself. I don't know that to be true. She probably mentions it. By the way, the angel came and told me I was going to have a kid. You need to know this is just going to be on your radar as we're planning the rest of our lives. But the angel hasn't visited Joseph yet. And he's... Heartbroken, angry, disgusted, wandering around the little town of Nazareth with a baseball bat looking for some dude <laughs> to bash his brains in? Probably. Probably not. It's not Chicago. It's Nazareth. He is well within his rights to divorce her and set her aside. If not have her stoned by the city elders. What strikes me here, he's not just a law-abiding, devout Jew. It's, it's also tempered in compassion. He resolves in his mind that he's going to divorce her quietly so that nobody knows about this. This allows her to sort of slink off, which is interesting because the Bible tells us where she goes, right? To Elizabeth in Zachariah's house in Judea, in the hill country outside of Jerusalem, pretty close to Bethlehem. Not all the way to Bethlehem, 
But she definitely leaves Nazareth while he is contemplating this divorce and being done very quietly so that she will suffer no social outcast. There will be no stoning. There will be no trial. She will not be the subject of a whisper campaign. She just leaves town and he sets her aside. Meanwhile, as Mary goes to Elizabeth and Zachariah's house and we see the story, John the Baptist noticing that Jesus has, has entered the room. Meanwhile, poor Joseph's back in Nazareth working on divorce papers. And he doesn't get very far because in steps another person that we know pretty well, Caesar Augustus. Caesar Augustus has resolved that all the world needs to be numbered and when the government says that you need to be numbered, what, numbered, what they mean is you need to be taxed. We need to know who you are and where you live and who you're connected to so we can make sure that you get your tax bill. This is the weird thing about the story. Where is Mary going to be taxed? She's engaged. It's a legally binding contract. But the man she's engaged to is about to divorce her. She doesn't have a husband. She no longer really has a father. She's now living with Zachariah, but she's not Zachariah's problem. And she lives there for what? Two months? Three months? Four months? Five months? We, we don't really know how long she's there. I mean, common parlance always sort of holds that, that after she visits Elizabeth, she goes back to Nazareth, but you can't find that in the text. It never says that. It's not in Luke. Where's Mary going to be counted? Put a better spin on it. Where does Mary count? An unmarried woman in basically the dark ages? She doesn't count. She doesn't count. How many people do you know? Don't count. Fallen through the cracks. Few friends, no contacts. God's promises kept unto us give us a confidence that the world cannot give. You count. You matter. You matter to God, to family, to friends. You count.
And so do veterans and unwed mothers and the homeless and the refugees and black lives and blue lines and pink ribbons and black shirts. God gives Joseph some time to think about this. He ruminates on this for a while. Time to think. Time to time to pray. Time to time to cool off. If this were a Stephen ministry story, we would say God has given him time to, to heal. Three or four months without Mary around. Sort of gives him time to absorb. I've no doubt that Joseph loved her. At the very least, I have to assume that he wanted to. I mean, this is why he's going to put her away quietly and not everybody know what's going on. He doesn't want to see her. Exposed. I wonder if God's just giving Joseph a little bit of of time to do what is right. And time goes on, and and the census is coming up, and it's time to be counted. It's time. It's time for Joseph to count. Right? Like the great poet laureate of our day, right? Why is a man great till he got to be great? It is time for Joseph to be great. And he steps up. Another incredible story. Incredible. Maybe uncredible story. Hard to tell with angels and dreams, right? Joseph, son of David says the angel in the dream do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife for that which is conceived in her from the Holy Spirit she will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus and he will save his people from their sins another great miracle of the nativity not the miracle That the Virgin Mary conceives and bears the Christ child. But Joseph believes the message given to him by the angel of the dream. Because he wants to believe it. He does. And yet, I've already noted, I believe that Joseph is a godly man. It does not occur to him to question this message. He simply believes it. And in my opinion, he gets on his donkey and he rides to the hill country outside of Jerusalem, very near to Bethlehem, to call upon his betrothed, who's been in Elizabeth's and Zachariah's house for months, with no word, with no future, with no family, with no clan, with no census, with no registration, a whole month or more of simply not counting. 
And here comes Joseph. Riding up the hill. Hey, baby. You want to go get taxed? Let's go to Bethlehem. Let's get our number taken. It's really probably one of the best love stories we have. A lot better than those weirdos Romeo and Juliet, that's for sure. Where does Joseph get that kind of faith? If not in the promises given to him by God himself. I think it partly comes from the name that the angel tells him to use for the baby, right? The name Jesus. In Hebrew, this is, is pronounced Yahshua, which we transliterate into English as Joshua. But the long form, and I may murder this a little bit, it is Yahweh Shua, Yahshua. It means Yahweh saves. And since how Jews don't like to say the divine word Yahweh, they always shorten it to sort of Yah. And so the Shua is the saves, and it's Yah Shua. In those days, the firstborn son was always given the father's name. The father's name is not Yahshua. The father's name is Joseph. The name he gives to this child proclaims who he knows is the father, Yahweh. For Yahweh's sakes. So, not only has Mary not sinned in conceiving this child, but the child is the Son of God Himself who saves sinners. And in Jesus, God has kept His promises unto His people. Because of that Jesus, Joseph keeps His promise to Mary. And He keeps His promise to you and I. This is the confidence of faith. Because of this Christ child doing what his name promises and saving his people from their sins, Joseph and everyone who believes in Jesus will face God on the last day. And we all will be able to do that wide-eyed and bushy-tailed and without any fear. Because we have that name. The first promise is given to us in our text. Joseph, son of David, do not fear. Don't be afraid. You have nothing to be afraid of. And the angel said to them, Fear not. For behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be for all people. 
For unto you is born this day the city of David, the Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Merry Christmas and Amen. Let us rise.